What's the nature of your emergency? Welcome back to the Tactical Living Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Walton, joined by Detective Walton. How are you? I'm good. I've titled today's episode, Borrowing Trouble, Navigating the Pitfalls of Premature Worry. So just sit back, relax, and enjoy today's content. I am in a group chat with two other females, and anytime that they have something going on, they'll typically um, go into the group chat and just kind of share what's going on in their life. And of course, we're as supportive as we can be. And one of the females had something going on with her dog. And it's basically been this ongoing um, just medical problems with her dog. He's 14 years old and they've tried changing his diet. And she ended up having to leave work. And her her first call to action was to go into our group chat to just kind of vent and say, you know, I've, this is the first time I've had to leave my new job and my dog might be dying is basically what she thought while she was on her way home. She thought she was going to take him to the vet and then have to put him down. And we're, uh, me and the other female in this, this group chat, we're consoling her and just um, listening to her and trying to be supportive and making her feel better and letting her know basically that she's not alone. And as we were ending the conversation, the other female inside of the group chat, she said something that I thought was so, so powerful. And it's also something I've never heard before, but she said, try not to borrow trouble. And I was like, wow, that's exactly right. Because we often do that. We all do that. She, you know, not knowing what's happening. We always think the worst case scenario. And so basically we're borrowing trouble. We're borrowing all of the, the terrible things that could co- go wrong, the terrible things that could be wrong, but really we're just borrowing it because, and it, it is, it is said to be true with this story that, She took her dog to the vet and the dog ended up being perfectly fine. And not only that, but this random tumor that they thought was benign anyways, completely disappeared after like two weeks of this happening. And so literally all of that angst and that, oh my gosh, I have to leave work and I'm putting my dog to sleep. And it all for for now, at least it turned out to be fine. And I was like, wow, how often does that happen where we borrowed trouble and more times than not, things have a tendency to work out? You know, I think it's, it's something in our own way of thinking. Like we think of that worst case scenario. We think of, Oh, this is going to be horrible. This is hard. So I think on the back end, we're trying to set ourselves up for success in, in a way, because if we look at something that if we look at that worst case scenario and it doesn't work out to be as bad, then that's almost like a win for ourselves. And, and I think that's such a, negative a bad way of doing things because you're you're setting you're you're putting yourself through that angst and and I really like that like don't borrow trouble like that's awesome because I've never thought of it that way because we always are looking for those worst case scenarios especially in law enforcement how many times do we go to scenes and you're always looking for that worst case scenario? Everybody's about to kill you. And, and it's so ingrained in you on a, a regular basis that even when you're off, you go out and you think everybody's out to kill you all the time. And what's going to happen in this situation? I'm, I'm laughing in my head right now because I feel like when you're off, you, you exchange that and you give it to me <laughs> instead. <laughs> It's a gift. Because <laughs> no. I am incredibly hypervigilant, more so than I think I've ever been 
in, in my entire life when it comes to being out in the public. And, you know, I'm, I'm so hypervigilant now that it's gotten to the point to where if I am sitting somewhere, I will not only look for mirrors, but I look at things like windows and doors and anything that has paint, anything that has a reflection in it so that I can use that as an extra sort of focal point to be able to see my surroundings. Yeah. And that's, and it's very true. It's Ashley's that one who's on high alert during that entire time. And and I'm just kind of more lackadaisical when it comes to it. And I shouldn't be that way, but I think just given the city that I work in, it's, it's trying to lower my guard in some of those instances. So I'm not always on that high alert level. Yeah. But, but going back to, to borrowing trouble, I can remember being really, really bad with this being younger. And I think especially being a teen, we go through so many hormonal changes and, as we grow up, there are so many uncertainties about what are we going to do? What do we want to be? Where are we going to live? What, you know, who am I going to marry? Like all of the stuff. And then when you start to build a home and a life together with somebody else, the same thing starts to happen. But I, I can't really say when that happened, but Clint, I think you and I grew out of that very, very quickly, very early on in our marriage. Yeah, I think almost... We were, I don't know, and I couldn't tell you why, but we were kind of forced to, it seemed like. And once, once, and, and not in a bad way, we were forced into the situation because then we're not looking for that next thing or trying to answer these questions. I think because we could rely on one another to know that we're going to be able to manage everything together. I think that's true because unlike most young adults, you and I, and not to say we couldn't have had the support of our parents, but basically when you and I got married and we moved out and moved in together, it was just us. Like we didn't ask our parents for anything. We didn't rely on our parents for anything. Everything that we have and we continue to build and create, we we have done and continue to do together. It's never been something to where, you know, I can use, how am I going to say this? I, <laughs> I could use situations of other children or siblings who have a complete self-reliance even decades later into their adult life on their parents. And it's such an unhealthy thing, right? I, I can even think of my kid brother or another brother who has that reliance on my father still. And you and I, as soon as we got married, that completely disappeared for both of us. Oh yeah, and I think it's you see this, and and it's not just the the siblings or the kids' faults. It's truly a lot of the parents' faults as well because they try to rope, they make it okay. They love still having that reliance. Like if I called my mom right now and said, "Hey mom, I really need your help with something," and I want you to start coming over once a week to do this. She would do it in a heartbeat because she would love to do that. But we don't want that. And it's not saying that we want to push her away with it. It's when we have built what we have together and we know how to navigate life without having to utilize outside sources where 
other parents, and, and I've talked to a lot of partners, it was the same thing, is they have their 23, 24-year-old kids living with them still and are so reliant, and they're okay with that. They make it okay to where parents are just as guilty as the kids for accepting that. Yeah, and a lot of times, too, I think for folks, it's because... And this might hurt some feelings, but it's the truth. And I'm able to say it from an external perspective because I am not a mother. But a lot of the times parents still want to create that identity, even as their young children become grown ass adults. And not to say that you shouldn't still be there, love, support and care about your kids. However, when you're enabling your children, and I recently had this conversation again with my father about how because he isn't pushing my kid brother, who is 33 years old, out onto his own, making him, my dad owns his own construction company. My kid brother still works under my dad, who should have retired 10 years ago. And I keep explaining to him how he's setting my kid brother up for failure by not pushing him out of the nest, by not having him go get his own construction license, by not guiding him in the ways that he could do this on his own. And when we're not talking about things as it pertains to business and business in the family, I'm also thinking about other families who they may not realize it, but they're taking advantage of the grandparents. They're taking advantage of their their parents. And it's a very sad thing to see when you're able to just subjectively kind of sit back and analyze what's happening and see it from the perspective of somebody who doesn't have kids. And that's, it's such a hard topic for people to take in, to, to listen to somebody like me talk when you, you don't have children. And I've gotten into some very deep, vulnerable, but heated conversations with, with parents over this very thing. And I think, again, that comes back to ego, where we don't want to set the ego aside because it's always the same thing. You don't understand because you don't have kids. Well, I've heard that before. You got a, you got something better than that. <laughs> um, because that's just the, uh, that's just the excuse. That's the band-aid that makes you feel better. Yeah, I think it's a struggle and, and it's always going to be a struggle. Like I look at teenagers nowadays, like kids don't want to drive anymore. And if we look back at us, like in high school, I couldn't wait till I was 15 and a half to get my permit and to get my license and, and to stuff. get a job and to it, go exactly. <laughs> move out of the house. Yeah. And now it's just like, oh, I don't want to. I don't want to. I need to go to college and then they go to college and then come back because I can't find a job. It, like you're you're 28 years old now and you don't even have your license. Like it's just that's just crazy to me. Man, I'm shaking my head because I wasn't even 21 when you and I got married and I was 22 when we bought our first house. Yeah. And it's crazy to look at things. And there's a lot of other examples like that out there, out there. But for us in particular, like by the time we were 23, we already owned two houses and, and we're getting, you know, we're moving forward within our careers and kind of moving to where we are now. And it's just, it's nuts to see the difference. Yeah. But, but I think the, the essence of this is so important for us to carry in understanding that we should not want to borrow trouble. And most importantly, when we are in the midst of those emotions and we know that something isn't going the way that we planned on it going, or something happens unexpectedly, that it's okay to not jump the gun. We can plan for the worst case scenario, right? I know people who hop on an airplane and the first thing they do is say, God, I know that I could die today. And if I do die, then that's the worst thing that could happen. And I've accepted it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? And so there are many things that would be much worse than missing your flight, right? Yeah. So 
when you put that into perspective about what is what could be even worse than the things that you're planning on, then chances are you are probably just borrowing trouble. I hope you've gotten some value out of today's episode. If you have, do us a favor, drop a review, subscribe down below. And as always, know that I'm sending you a long, tight hug from my home to yours.